All right, well, hey, everybody. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Really good to have you with us today. If you're at one of our campuses or if you're watching this message online, and if you're a person who only watches online but you live near one of our campuses, I want to invite you to join us in person. Your kids are going to love the environment that we've created for them. They're going to learn about the Bible and get to hang out with other kids their own age. And for those of us who are adults, there's just something about worshiping together and interacting with each other face to face. And so I want to invite you to join us in person. All right, we are in the sixth week of a series called Seven Words That Can Change Your Life. One word can change your life. And oftentimes it's the simplest words that make the greatest impact. One cry of help for some of you could change your life. One yes or one no could change the direction of your life. Today's word might be the hardest of all because it strikes at our pride Today's word is sorry. I have to say the word sorry, it seems, once or twice a week. For example, around our house, it's my job to take the garbage out every week. And so one Friday morning, I was sitting on the couch, just comfortable in my sweatpants, when all of a sudden I heard the garbage truck pulling into our neighborhood. And so I called out to my wife, Sarah, I said, hey, did you take the garbage can down? She said, no, that's your job. Quick, run it down there. But I was so comfortable. I was on the couch and she was already up. So I said, could you do it? And I didn't expect her to say yes, but bless her heart, she threw on her jacket, threw on her boots, and started to run the garbage can down our driveway to try to beat the garbage truck before it pulled out of our neighborhood. As she was doing this, I called all of our kids over to the window. I said, you guys, this is going to be hilarious. Mom's going to try to run the garbage can down before the garbage truck gets out of our cul-de-sac. you got to see this. And it was kind of funny. Her hair was all disheveled. Her your sweatpants were kind of baggy. And let's be honest, it's awkward to run with a garbage can. When she got back in, we all told her how funny it was. I had to apologize for that. Then two years ago, our family was going to a family camp, and a couple days before, I was going to mow the lawn, but it was raining. So I thought, I'm just going to pack up the whole car. And I'm kind of a madman when I get my mind set on something, and so I packed up all the kids' clothes, all of the food, everything. And so when my wife got home, I said, all you have to pack is the medicine bag. If there's any medicine you want for the kids in case they get sick. Well, the first day that we get to family camp, of course, our oldest son gets the flu, temperature over 100. I said to my wife, I said, where's the medicine bag? So I put it by the other luggage. You must have brought it out to the car. I said, no, there was no medicine bag by the luggage. That's not true. At all. We got in the biggest fight about this. When we got home after a week at family camp, both of us sprinted inside the house because we wanted to find the medicine bag and prove the other person wrong. We couldn't find it. A few days later, Sarah called me. She said, I found it. Don't you want to know where it was? I'm not telling you. <laughs> it was in the center island of our van. Sarah had put it right by the luggage like she said that she did. And I brought it out to the van just like she said I did. And I remember putting it in the center council and thinking, oh, I hope I don't forget that I'm putting this here. <laughs> I had to apologize for that as well. It seems like a day doesn't go by that I don't have to apologize for something, which is why I believe in this next statement so much. 
Your relational success is dependent upon your ability to give and receive forgiveness. That the difference between a cold and distant marriage and one that is tender and intimate is oftentimes two words. I'm sorry. The difference between a close relationship with your kids or with your parents and one in which it feels like you're always just kind of going like this with each other is oftentimes two words, I'm sorry. That relationally successful people, whether it's at work, home, or school, have developed this ability to give and receive forgiveness well. If there is a person in your life that you are having conflict with right now, could be a sibling, in-law, neighbor, friend, co-worker, my guess is this, that one or both of you have refused to say these two words, I'm sorry. What is it about that word that's so hard for us to say? I mean, it's just, it's just six letters, sorry. But sometimes saying it is like choking down cough medicine. I mean, you know it's good for you. You know you need to do it, but it tastes terrible. For example, just a couple weeks ago, I said to our kids, I said, hey, time for bed. Didn't even move. I mean, just on the video game, looking at TV, didn't even move. Five minutes later, I came back. I said, you guys, I told you five minutes ago, get upstairs, start getting ready for bed. Huh? What? I need a snack. <laughs> Fifteen minutes later, they got a pot roast in the oven. <laughs> Sorry, Dad, 45 minutes until my third dinner is, oh, is ready. And sometimes I'm just like an army sergeant, and I just lose it. And I threaten to take away everything in life that they enjoy and hold dear <laughs> unless they get to bed. This particular night, I was in rare form. I mean, extremely harsh with my tone. And afterwards, my wife and my other son said to me, Dad, you know, you were way too harsh. And the way you were speaking to them, you know, was way out of line. Do you think I listened to them and said, oh, you're right, I am so sorry? No. I looked at them and said, oh, like you never lose your temper. And maybe if you two would help me a little bit, I wouldn't be so stressed out about this. And the whole rest of the night, I was just waiting for one of them to get upset. I couldn't wait. I was going to say, whoa, you little crabby tonight. You're in kind of a bad mood. You need to calm down a little bit. You're a little too irritable. Who does that? I do that. Some of you do that. You know who you are. We, we all do that. Why? It's because we have a hard time saying this word, sorry. In the Old Testament, there was a man named King David. If you've heard the story of David defeating Goliath, that's him. And King David, at one point, the Bible says, it was a man after God's own heart. Only person the Bible ever says that about. But what's interesting is that at one point, David committed adultery. And then to cover up his sin, he had this woman's husband murdered. Now, how can you do that and still be called a man after God's own heart? Look at what David writes in Psalm 38 after he was confronted about his sin. He said, but I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I've done. 
David could have blamed other people. He could have gotten defensive, but instead he confesses his sin. He takes responsibility for what he did, and he expresses how deeply sorry he was. In fact, after he was confronted about this, David sat down and wrote an entire psalm. It's known as Psalm 51. And in that psalm, I see three parts to a sincere apology. Now, even as I say that, my fear is that some of you are going, well, so what? Like, I came to church today to learn how to give a sincere apology. Is, is that really going to change my life? But here's what I believe. I believe that God may want to set some of you free today by using this one word, sorry. That he may want to restore a relationship in your life. He might want to release you from the guilt and the shame that you've carried with you for something that you have done. What if this could be the best year ever for your marriage? I mean, what if you and your spouse looked at each other and said, you know, that was our best year. What if this was your best year relationally with your roommates, with your friends or your coworkers, and you said, you know what, relationally, this has been the best year I have ever had. I believe it starts with this one word, sorry, and three parts to a sincere apology. Here's the first one. You have to acknowledge that you were wrong. So again, David could have blamed, he could have gotten defensive, he could have said, well, have you seen what King Saul has done? I mean, that guy's done way worse than me. But instead, look at what he writes in verse 3. He says, I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. That's a chilling statement, isn't it? Anyone here today feel that way? That there's something that just haunts you day and night? You wake up in the morning thinking about that DUI. Thinking about that argument that got out of hand. Thinking about that one decision that you made that you would do anything to take back. It haunts you day and night. David goes on in the next verse. And he says this, against you, he's speaking to God here. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done evil in your sight. In other words, this wasn't just a sin against another person. David recognizes that it's much deeper than that. He realizes he has sinned against God. That's the real issue here. And David acknowledges that he was wrong. You know, one of the interesting things about human beings is that we tend to rate ourselves higher than we should. They've done studies on this. Even the smartest among us, like college professors, are susceptible to this kind of thinking. For instance, they did a study of college professors, and only 2% of them believe that they were below average educators. So of all the other professors out there, only 2% said, yeah, I'm probably in the lower half of that. 63% of them said they were above average educators, and 25% said they were truly exceptional. Now, you just do the math on that. Over 80% of us believe that we are above average drivers. I have seen you drive. 80% of you are not above average. You've seen me drive, and you probably think the same thing. And that's what's so weird about our sin. I am very aware of yours, but I am rarely aware of my own. It's 
That's why David writes these words elsewhere. He says, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. A while back, my wife called me on the phone. She said, I found another Snickers wrapper under Jasper's bed. Jasper is our six-year-old son, and he's the sweetest kid ever. He's always happy, smiling, love you, daddy. But he has a major issue with sneaking treats. He'll do it with a smile on his face, but if he wants something, he'll take it, and then he'll hide it from you. And so my wife remarked to me, she said, you know, he struggles with self-control. And maybe it was the way that she said it, I don't know, but there was something in me, and I just blurted out, I said, well, I struggle with self-control. You see, I used to consider myself a disciplined person. I would pride myself on being a disciplined person. But I went through a stretch one time where I was very undisciplined, and I lacked self-control. For example, I had an allergic reaction, and my doctor put me on this diet that was basically vegetables and meat. There was no bread, no yeast, nothing like that. But one day, I was so hungry. So I went downstairs to the freezer, and I got two chicken melts from Costco. Now, I don't want to oversell these to you, okay? It's not like they're the greatest thing ever, but it's breaded chicken with cheese wrapped in a pita bread bun, and I was so hungry, I grabbed two of them. I went upstairs and I realized I've got a problem because my wife was standing in the kitchen (laughs) and she knew what the doctor had said to me. And so I said, hey, honey, can you go out in the mudroom and like find me that? I just made something up. Send her on a wild goose chase. Just get her out of there. Put the chicken melts into the microwave two minutes and 22 seconds. That's my pro microwaving tip for you. Okay. Don't have to read the box. Take a guess. Is it approximately two minutes, three minutes, four minutes? And then just pick one digit three times. 222-333-444. You've just saved yourself five seconds off of your life, okay? It's my pro microwaving tip. So two minutes, 22 seconds is done. Pull the chicken melts out, and my wife is back. Standing right next to me. She goes, what do you got there? And she gives me the lecture about what the doctor said, but I didn't care. I ate them anyway. And this was not a one-time deal. My wife said to me over Lent, she said, hey, we should fast from sugar. I said, that's a great idea. My wife doesn't know this until now, I guess, but (laughs) I had more sugar over Lent than I have had in my entire life. I mean, I was having it at work. I was having it out for lunch. I mean, I was just sugar all the time, but I was hiding it from her. Now, you say, well, that's not really that big of a deal. Well, it kind of is. I'm making promises that I'm not keeping. I'm shading the truth. And to top it off, I'm trying to hide it all from other people. And so when my wife said to me, you know, Jasper really struggles with self-control, I had this moment where I realized, well, I struggle with self-control. And that's just it. For the longest time, I could see that characteristic in my son, but I could not see it in myself. Again, David writes these words. He says, who can discern their errors? Forgive my hidden faults. David's like, I don't even trust myself. I mean, I cannot even discern my own errors. In fact, David never even confessed his sin of adultery until the prophet Nathan confronted him about it. There was a prophet Nathan. God spoke to him, told him what David had done, And it wasn't until Nathan confronted David that David said, oh, I'm sorry, I confess. Here's the sad reality. 
The reason that some of you haven't confessed yet is because you haven't been caught yet. That if you were to hit rock bottom, if someone were to expose you and what you're doing or what you're struggling with in life, you would throw your hands up and go, oh, I'm so sorry. But until then, you are living with this naive belief that I'm fine. I mean, I I know, I know, it's kind of a little out of control right now, but I'll get it under control. And I don't need to tell anybody about that or talk about that. I'll figure it out. I don't think they're going to find out. And I'll tell you what, I've been there. I've had moments in my life where I thought, boy, if I tell someone what I'm really struggling with, what I'm really dealing with, they are going to look at me differently. They are going to think less of me, and maybe they're even going to be a little angry or disappointed with me. David wrote Psalm 51 right after he was confronted about what he had done. He wrote Psalm 32 later, after he'd had some time to process all of this. Look at what he writes in Psalm 32. He says, what joy for those whose sin has been forgiven. But David said, you know, I never knew what I was missing out on before. But let me tell you, when I confessed, there was such a joy of knowing that I had been forgiven by God. He goes on and he says, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. I love that phrase. Complete honesty. Are you living your life right now in complete honesty? Or is there something where you're saying, well, you know, I'm just not going to let them know about that. I'm going to kind of keep that a secret. I'm going to keep that hidden. Can you say that your life is being lived in complete honesty? David goes on and he writes, when I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable. And I groaned all day long. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you, God, and I stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. If you would acknowledge your sin today, maybe for you it's your temper. Maybe it's hatred or selfishness. Maybe it's over-drinking or lust. If you would pray and God would give you the courage and the strength to just talk to another person about what you're struggling with, here's what you would find. You would be forgiven. And that feeling of being weak and miserable and carrying that guilt and that burden, it would begin to go away. And you would experience the joy of being forgiven and living your life in complete honesty. You are one word away from that. And the word is sorry. Here's the second part to a sincere apology. It's this. You have to ask for forgiveness. So back to Psalm 51. David writes these words. He says, don't keep looking at my sins. And I kind of get a kick out of telling that to God. I mean, it's like me taking the chicken melts out of the microwave. It's like, I don't want you to see this. Don't look at this. But then he writes, remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Anyone need to pray that prayer today? God, I can feel it. I can feel that there's something in my heart that's not right. I can feel that there's something in my heart that's not pure. I can sense that there's something that's not clean. Oh God, 
Would you create in me a clean heart? And notice that David says, remove the stain of my guilt. In other words, will you forgive me? And there's no buts attached. I'm sorry, but is not an apology. I'm sorry, but I just get so sick of it when you... That's not an apology. That's a justification. I'm sorry, but here's the reason I said that. Here's the reason I did that. That's not an apology. That's a defense. Some of us have never learned how to apologize to someone. We always have a but attached. David doesn't do that. David says, will you forgive me? Here's what an apology like that does. It diffuses any situation. Let me try to illustrate this for you. This graph represents the anger and energy level in your conversations. So this is zero down here. This is maybe a 10 up there. And this represents the anger or the energy level that you're having in a conversation with someone. So for instance, let's just say that you accidentally delete your wife's Hallmark movie before she was done watching it. It's hypothetical, okay? But <laughs> let's just say that you did that. And your wife comes to you and she goes, well, why did you do that? I wasn't done watching that yet. You always do stuff like that. Well, now the anger and energy level <coughs> has gone from about a zero up to a three or a four. And at that point, you have a choice. You can either say back to your spouse, I'm sorry, but how am I supposed to know that you're not done watching it? You never delete them even when you are done watching them, and it takes up all the memory space. Depending on the tone in which you said that, Now you're at about a six or a seven. Your other option is simply to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And now you're right back down to a zero. If you're up at a six or a seven, now your spouse has a choice. She can either say to you, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, you're, you're right, but you know, next time just please ask me before you delete it. And we're back down at about a zero at that point. Or she can say to you, you know what? I'm going to start deleting your sports games and we'll see how you like it. <laughs> well, now you done crossed the line. <laughs> that was the line and you just went like that. And, and now it's on like Donkey Kong and you, you're up at about a nine or a ten at that point. And you're having a conversation about each other's family of origins at that point, right? <laughs> Why? All because one or both people refuse to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I was watching my son Hudson play in a basketball game recently, and there was this kid on the other team, and this is putting it very politely, he needed an attitude change. Every time the referee would call a foul on him, he would go like this. Oh, what? Gotta be kidding me. Start going like it. And I'm not even his parent, but I'm sitting there and I just want to yell out, deal with it. Okay, you foul the guy. Just walk away. Like, just driving me nuts. And then he started talking trash to the other kids on our team. So he'd do something and he'd start, you know, barking about it. 
And at one point, he hit a jump shot over my son Hudson, and he went up to him and went, yeah, like that, right in his face. That was on the other end of the court. I, I couldn't see that. I was blocked by a bunch of different bodies. But what I did see was on the other end of the court, they came down, and Hudson hit a shot over him. And as he was kind of walking over to get the ball out of bounds, Hudson followed him, walked up to him, and went, yeah, like that, right in his face. I kind of like that. <laughs> I didn't tell my son that I liked that, but there was part of me that was like, yeah, yeah, be competitive, go right back at him, you know? But afterwards, what I said to Hudson in the car was I said, Hudson, I'm going to say this once. I don't expect I'm going to have to say it again. I said, you will never go up in the face of an opponent and clap like that ever again. He said, I know. I already said I was sorry. I said, you did? He said, yeah. During the game, I went up to him and I said, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I said, well, how did he respond? He said, well, he was actually really nice about it. He said, no, 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 I'm the one who started it. It's my fault. I'm sorry. And he was nice the whole rest of the game. One word, sorry, has the potential to throw water on the fire of your conflict. Do you realize that the conflict that you are having with another person right now, what this one word could do to simply diffuse that situation? Even if you are only 5% in the wrong and they are 95% in the wrong, which is what we all think, right? Only 5% my fault, 95% theirs. Even if you could just own your part and apologize, what could that do? I have sat in marriage counseling sessions before with two couples, and, or with two people, and they will both look at me and they will go, not my fault. I'm not apologizing. I didn't do anything wrong. They need to apologize to me. And they're both saying this. In marriage counseling, and I'm looking at them, and I'm going, clearly one of you did something wrong. Could you own that and apologize for what you've done? And when we're in a situation like that where it's just a stalemate, one of the questions that I will ask is this. Would it hurt for you to say, I'm sorry? I know you don't feel like you need to or you should, and they're way more at fault than you are, but would it hurt the relationship if you simply owned what you could own and said, I'm sorry? Will you forgive me? It's the second part to a sincere apology. Here's the third part. We need to trust that God will forgive you. So you need to acknowledge that what you've done is wrong. Some, some of us, we're not there yet. And my hope is that by the end of today that you would be able to say, you know what, I, I, I'm going to acknowledge that. I'm going to acknowledge my words, my temper, my behavior, that, that that's wrong. But then you need to look that other person in the eye and you need to say, will you forgive me? And then regardless if they say yes or no, you need to trust that God will forgive you. Psalm 51, again, verse 17, David continues and he writes these words. He says, the sacrifice you want, God, is a broken spirit. A broken and repentant heart, O oh God, you will not despise. That is a promise. A broken and repentant spirit, God will not despise. But here's what I hear people say sometimes. 
they'll go, well, you know, I don't feel forgiven. I've asked for forgiveness. I've said I'm sorry, but I just, I just don't feel like I've been forgiven. And they'll conclude that maybe God has forgiven them, but they just haven't been able to forgive themselves. I've been a pastor for 19 years, and during that time, I have tried all sorts of gimmicks to help people forgive themselves. I had a group of people one time write their struggle on a balloon. And then we let the balloons go. And I said, look, your struggles are floating away. Just let them go and forgive yourself. And then I had them one time write it on a rock. And we dropped the rock into a bucket of water. And I said, look at all of your struggles, all of your sins. They're spiraling to the bottom. Just forgive yourself. I have tried so many gimmicks. After 19 years, here's what I believe. You cannot forgive yourself. The reason you feel like, oh, I just can't forgive myself is because you cannot forgive yourself. To forgive means to release a person from an offense that they committed against you. That's the definition of the word. You cannot release yourself from an offense that you committed. If you could, then Jesus Christ never would have needed to die on a cross. God could have just said, well, you know, put it on a balloon, let it go, just forgive yourself. But God didn't do that. So when people say, I don't feel like I can forgive myself, what I think they really mean is this. I am not living in the forgiveness that God has already given to me. Intellectually, I believe that God has forgiven me, but I don't feel it. And my response to you would be this. First of all, feelings are tough. I mean, feelings are dependent upon how much sleep you got last night, your personality, what the weather is like outside. I am not banking my life and my eternity on feelings. The issue is when God says a broken and repentant spirit, I will not despise, do you believe him? Will you trust him when he says that that is true. But second, notice that he says it's a broken and repentant spirit. Here's the deal. There is a difference between being sad that you got caught and broken about what you've done. There is a big difference between saying, oh, I'm sorry, God, my bad, but then doing it again two weeks later and genuinely repenting and saying, I am done with that. I am making a clean break with that. Do you have a broken and repentant spirit? And if you don't, you need to pray this very dangerous prayer. You need to say, Lord, would you break me? Would you break me? Would you bring me to a place of brokenness and repentance and honesty about what I've done? But when you get to that point, you can know that God will forgive you. He says, a broken and repentant spirit, I will not despise. I was talking with a group of people recently, and one of the moms was talking about how sad she is at how often she yells at her kids. And she was very broken about this. She had tears, and she was extremely repentant about it. She's prayed about this, read books about this. But she just said, what can I do? I just, I keep losing my temper with my kids. And as I mentioned, I'm by no means an expert on this at all, but 
I, I said to her, I said, you know, when I was a brand new pastor, I went on a conference with some older pastors. And I asked them, I was, I was a new father at the time, and so I asked them, I said, hey, what's your best parenting advice? And one of them said, my best parenting advice is always be willing to go to your kids and to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? He said, here's what that does. He says, when your kids get into about middle school or so, they'll realize they're not perfect. And that's going to be a little bit tough to swallow. He said, good to know mom and dad aren't perfect either. But then he said, here's what that does. It models humility. It models having a willingness to confess to your kids. It models a willingness to take responsibility for what you've done. And to receive the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can offer from the cross. And he said those are all attributes and characteristics that are some of the most important for your kids to learn. And the only way they can learn them is if you are willing to say to them, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? That's one of the best pieces of parenting advice I've ever gotten. Let me ask you, is there anyone in your life today that you need to apologize to? Maybe it's not your kids, but maybe it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend. And you simply say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I've been so controlling and I've been so insecure lately, will you forgive me? Maybe for you, it's with a coworker. And you just say, boy, that came out wrong, and I, I kind of crossed a line there. Will you forgive me? Maybe it's your spouse. And you simply say, boy, I've been so self-centered and so focused on my own life and my own career. I, I just I haven't been giving you the attention you deserve. Will you forgive me? Could be a neighbor, could be a friend, could be a coworker or a roommate. Maybe it's even God. That maybe you need to come before God today and say, God, would you forgive me? This isn't something I just did to another person. It's something I did against you. And I need to say I'm sorry. And so we're going to do that right now as a church, as we celebrate communion with one another. And so I want to invite you to come down. If you're at a campus where you're passing out the elements, if you're at a campus where it's under the seat or in the uh, cup holders, you can begin passing it down the aisle. But on the night before Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. He then took a cup and he raised it and he said, this is my blood. Poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. And so we do. The Bible says you have to be a follower of Jesus Christ to participate in communion. So if you're not there in your faith journey, that's perfectly fine. But it's a little tricky. You have to peel it back once to get to the bread, another time to get to the juice. And I'm going to ask you that as you take communion, not to just kind of wolf it down, but to spend a moment in prayer. And spend a moment just asking God, God, is there a hidden fault in my life? Is there something I need to acknowledge that I've done wrong? And then would you ask God for forgiveness and have a moment where you trust that what he says is true and that you are forgiven so that as you leave here today, you can 
join with King David and say, oh, what joy. For those whose sins have been forgiven, oh, what joy. For those whose lives are lived in complete honesty. As all this is going on, the band's going to be playing quietly behind us, and then they're going to stand us to sing one closing song.